Well, do me a favor and track down a Bible if you can and get with me to Psalm chapter 25. Now, if you don't have a Bible, I totally understand. We will also put the passages up on the bottom of the screen so you can read along while we work our way through the text today. Um, We believe that God's Word is powerful and effective, and we want to create space in our service for God to speak over us. Now, we're actually starting a brand new series right now, and it's called Stories of Hope. And over the next few weeks, we will talk about hope and what an appropriate topic right now. We are talking about hope and the hope that we can have as believers and the hope that we can have come what may. Now, we've also been doing a mini-series recently called Psalms That Steady Our Hearts. And we've been doing that because in the midst of COVID-19, we just said, okay, God, disrupt our plans. We're going to allow your word to speak into what we're experiencing together. And going through the Psalms has been incredibly helpful for me personally. And in the conversations I'm having with some of you, it's been helpful to you as well. And so uh, we're starting a new series, but I couldn't get out of Psalms. I just, uh, there there are at least a couple more psalms that I wanted to bring you into that do talk about hope. And so today, Psalm 25 is a psalm of hope. And uh, what we'll do then is we'll read, I'm going to read the entire psalm together with you. You can follow along in your Bible or at the bottom of the screen. I will read those verses and then we will pray and we will get to work. Psalm 25 of David. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right, and he teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways that they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity, and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Let's pray. Lord, right now as we've opened the word together, we're asking that by your spirit you would speak to each and every one of us. Lord, we're asking that you would make us a hopeful people, that you would change us from the inside out so that we might better trust in you and might claim that promise that you will not allow us to be put to shame. 
in the midst of this season of life that we find ourselves in, Lord, we're asking that you would help us to hope in you so that we could say all day long, Lord, my hope is in you. So God, would you do that right now? Help us right now to be a people who are hopeful and change then the way that we even pray to you according to your will, Lord, and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the author of this psalm, uh, David, right there at the heading, um, you can tell from the language in the psalm itself that he's in distress. Now, that doesn't surprise any of us because we've been looking at David and his psalms recently, and he is a man who is, known, who is known for the afflictions that he went through. He had multiple seasons in his life where people were chasing him down to destroy him. And again, in this psalm, we hear some of that language. He is in distress, and so we can take his psalm on our own lips in the midst of COVID-19, and we could recognize we too are in distress, and we can then hijack this psalm uh, for ourselves. But one of the things that you find here in the psalm is David is saying that he has this hope in God, and it kind of bookends the entire psalm. He's able to say, I hope in you, and then at the end, he actually claims that as a promise. So let me show it to you briefly. It shows up in the first three verses where he's explaining that his trust is in God, his hope is in God, and therefore he will never be put to shame. Verses 1 to 3, in you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over you, over me. I'm sorry. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. So he's right out of the gate saying, there is this principle here. There's this reality here that the person who trusts in God will not be put to shame. And he's claiming that of himself because he's the one who's trusting in God, who's putting his trust in the Lord himself. He then personalizes the idea in verse 5. It's not just a concept for him. It's his own experience. So in verse 5, he's saying, guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God my Savior. And my hope, now he's making it his own. He's saying, this isn't just a concept that I affirm, but this is a concept that I embrace. My hope is in you all day long. He's able to say, I have this hope that is in God, and that's what, that is what is... That's what's giving me this sustaining power. That's what's giving me this confidence that even though I'm going through distress, I am placing my hope in God. And then at the end of the psalm, in verse 21, he claims it as a promise. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. So what is Psalm 25 all about? Psalm 25 is about having hope in the Lord that can steady you in times of trouble. It's having this hope in the Lord that actually changes you. And I want you to have this hope as well. I want you, listener, to be able to say, I'm hoping in the Lord. I'm placing my trust in him. I'm believing on him for good things. My hope is in him. And I want you to be able to say, along with David, my hope is in him all day long. He is my hope. Therefore, I will not be put to shame. Come what may. I want you to have that. I want you to be able to claim hope in God in this time of distress. Now, as I was thinking about it this week, one of the things that we need to say about hope is that it's both an event and a process. It's an event in the sense that we, at some point, place our faith in Christ for our salvation, and that's when we are, 
You know, that's when it's an event. We're saying we hope in God. And many of us can look at that date and say, you know, for me, uh, I grew up in a Christian household, but at a young age, I placed faith in Christ. And so I can look at a date early on. I can also look at a date when I was 18 years old and I made it personal. I said, I don't just, you know, trust in God in general and believe on Christ because that's what my family does, but this is my thing as well. And I can look at a date and I can say, there's a, there's a calendar date where I put my hope in God. Some people actually last week who were tuning into our service made a decision to surrender their life to Christ. There are people who maybe are even online today who can say that event happened for me last Sunday on Easter. Placing your faith in God, putting your trust in God and specifically in Jesus Christ for salvation. That's that hope as an event reality. But another thing we need to say is that hope is also a process. Although we can look at an event and we can look at a date, most of us have to admit that becoming hopeful in God is a work in progress. That even the adversity actually helps us to embrace this reality that we want to hope in God even more than we presently do. And we're going through life and God is taking us through these lessons and these seasons and hopefully our hope is growing. And and God is helping us to embrace hope more and more and more. So it is an event and it is a process and it's something that I want for each of you. Now here's what I find when I'm looking at Psalm 25. Um, A person who hopes in God is being radically changed. A person who hopes in God is changed from the inside out, and it's actually changing even the way that we talk to God. And so I want to show you here from Psalm 25 three different requests that a person of hope will make to God. And I want you to hear these, and I want you to begin to onboard them into your own prayer life today. Three things. When you hope in God, you pray for his guidance, you pray for his forgiveness, and you pray for his deliverance. And each of those are significant and important, and they show up in our text before us. So let's take them one at a time. A person who hopes in God prays for his guidance. A person who hopes in God is basically asking the question, God, what is your will for me? What do you want me to do? What are, what are the, the decisions that I should be making that would best reflect your desire for me? And so right now, if you place your hope in God and you're growing in that expression of hope, one of the things that should be happening is that you begin to ask God, what do you want me to do today? Now that might feel like a weird question because honestly, some of the biggest decisions we're making right now is how many times should I visit the refrigerator, right? Because we're in this quarantine shelter in place kind of situation. And so we don't feel like we're making a lot of big decisions right now. But I would suggest to you that as this drags on, and even as the executive orders are lifted, this question of God's guidance will become, it'll become a profound one for each of us. Some of us, I'm imagining, will be making major vocational changes. The industry that you've been working in to this point, maybe your entire career, it might not be able to last through this experience. And you might have to make a vocational change. And then you'll be asking God, will you please guide me? What is your desire for me? Many of us are going to be asking that question repeatedly. Is life beyond the shelter-in-place order and the COVID-19 experience is going to look different? We're not going back to normal, normal. 
It's not going to be the way it was before. And so we're having to ask God then, I'm placing my hope in you. Would you please guide me now? Would you lead me and show me your way? So let's look at the request in verses four and five. David prays like this, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your path. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God, my savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Here's what he's saying. I want you, Lord, to show me your way. You have a path and I want to walk in it. I, people who are hoping in God, they're changing the way that they pray because prior to this, an immature faith, a, a, an immature believer even would, would say things like this, God, I've got a plan. I want you on board with it. I've got certain things that I want to see accomplished and I just want your stamp of approval and your blessing to be on my plan. But a person who hopes in God, their language, their prayer language changes. It's no longer God, I'm doing it my way, get on board. Now it becomes, God, what is it that you want me to do? Show me your way. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. Teach me this so that I could walk in it and be pleasing to you. That language of prayer is changing. And now we're saying, my hope is in you all day long, but I want your will, God. I want your desire for my life. And when he reflects on that, it causes him to recognize the kind of people that God leads. And we're going to get into this in the next point, but one of the things that he begins to acknowledge is God leads people who acknowledge their need for God and are therefore repenting and trusting in God. So he, reflecting on it in verses 8 through 10 and then in verse 12, he's, he's acknowledging the kind of person that God is leading the kind of person who's trusting in God and asking for God's leadership is a humble and needy person. Look, look at it with me in verses 8 and 9. It says, God, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and he teaches them his way. What's he saying there? He's acknowledging the people who are being faithfully led by God, are people who recognize their need for God. They're acknowledging their own sinfulness. The sinners are being instructed in the ways of God. They're humbling themselves. They're humbling themselves um, in order to learn what is right, and God is teaching them God's own way. So the kind of people who are being led are the kind of people who are humble and acknowledge their need for God. And we'll, again, we'll get into this in a, in a few minutes, but we need to humble ourselves and recognize our need and admit to God himself. I'm a sinner in need of your saving work and I'm gonna humble myself so that you might guide and lead me. All right, let's look at the effects of that. It shows up in this glad obedience. A person who's being led by God, who's hoping in God, who's humbled themselves, they're now expressing obedience to God and it's a joyful obedience. It's a glad obedience. You can't say, God is my God, I'm hoping in him, if your life is disconnected from what he actually wants of you. But a person who's hoping in God and trusting in him and humbling themselves, their, their lives now are being conformed to the likeness of God's own will for them. And that's a beautiful reality. So it shows up in verse 10. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. He's saying that hopeful people crying out for God's guidance, are being conformed 
into the image of God's desire for them, and they're keeping God's covenant. They're keeping God's demands. They're looking at, what does God want from me? I'm going to go after that with this glad and joyful obedience. And God then is leading them with this loving and faithful leadership. Look at verse 12. It says, who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways that they should choose. People who are hoping in God have fallen in love with God himself. They have this relationship with the maker of all heaven and earth, and they are seeking to follow him. They're fearing him in the right and appropriate ways. They're saying, God is God, and he gets to call the shots for my life. And therefore, they're experiencing this instruction from God himself in the ways that they should choose. Now, there is blessing to that. Look at verse 13. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. They have a relationship with God that's evident. Look, look at verse 14. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. So people who are hoping in God and praying for his guidance now are experiencing the blessing of joyful obedience and all of its benefits. They're receiving the prosperity of God himself and they're getting God in their lives. God is confiding in them. There's this relational term that God is revealing what he's doing in this world to his people. He's revealing to people who are hopeful and asking for God's guidance. Elizabeth Elliot was a missionary in South America and um, she talked about this concept, and she talked about the, the, um, the way that we often approach finding the will of God. And we just want God to tell us, you know, give us some bullet points. What decisions should I make? Give me some benchmarks so I know if I'm heading in the right direction. Show me some signs so that I would know uh, that I'm following the right way and all these different things. And she says, but the truth about God's will is we don't just want to know where he's taking us. We want to know he's with us in that process. And that's what this is saying here in verse 14. God confides in us. He comes to us and he reveals his will to us in a very personal and intimate way. Elizabeth Elliot, when she wrote on it, she put it like this. She said, what we really ought to have is the guide himself. Maps, road signs, a few useful phrases, they're good things, but infinitely better is someone who's been there before and knows the way. We want God to come alongside us and tell us, here's where we're going together. I'm confiding in you. I'm making my will known to you. That's what the hopeful get. They get God as their leader and their director and their guider. He's instructing them along the way, and that is a beautiful and a good thing for us. So the first prayer then is a prayer for guidance. The hopeful are asking that God would show them his ways. The second prayer that we find here is a prayer for forgiveness, which is an odd thing for most of us. It feels a little bit jarring to go, what do these concepts have to do with each other? Why is it that we're saying, God, please lead us so that we would know what you're up to in the midst of COVID-19? Please lead us so that we could follow in your will and your ways. And then all of a sudden we say, and forgive us. But the truth is that adversity actually creates in the hopeful, it creates this moment of self-evaluation. Adversity causes us to go, what is going on in this world? And it causes us to look inward and see that the problem isn't just the circumstances, but the problem is within. My Old Testament professor, Willem 
Van Gimmeren, he said this in his commentary on Psalms. He says, times of adversity bring believers to moments of reflection when they submit their whole way of life to God's scrutiny. When we go through seasons of difficulty, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's a health concern or whether it's, you know, something around us falling apart, when we go through those moments, it actually creates this opportunity for us to be reflecting on, is my life aligned with God and what he's trying to do in this world? And so it becomes this moment where we evaluate and then all of a sudden we go, there's a problem here. It's kind of like this. Imagine, you know, we're, we're praying to God and we're saying, hey, are you aware of everything that's going on in our world right now? The economy is trashed. Uh, people are scared out of their minds. There's this uh, vicious virus that's harming a lot of different people. And we're looking at that and we're going, God, what are you going to do here? And God goes, yeah, I'm aware of all of that, but I want to show you something else. And it's almost as if he takes an x-ray and puts it over us. And he goes, I know you're really concerned about everything going on out there. Let me show you what I'm also concerned with. And he says, some of the problem isn't just out there. Some of the problem that I'm seeking to deal with in this moment is also in here. And that's what happens in this psalm. David is praying about the distress that he's going through, but then all of a sudden he's realizing because by God's loving kindness, he's being exposed for what he really is. And he's going, there, there are enemies out there, but there are also enemies within. I've got things in me that need to be dealt with as well. So look, look with me at how he prays in verses 6 and 7. He says, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and your love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. He's praying and he's asking for God's guidance. And then all of a sudden, there's this moment of self-realization. I need you to forgive me. Please don't remember the sins of my youth and do this on a, you know, in accordance with your character, with your mercy and your love. According to your love, remember me for you, Lord, are good. He's saying, please forgive me because I'm in need of forgiveness. Look at verse 11. For the sake of your name, Lord. Forgive my iniquity, though it is great. What's he doing? He is acknowledging that part of the problem isn't just circumstantial. Part of the problem is his heart. And he's saying, I have iniquity and it is great. And I don't believe that this is talking about, you know, that season in his life where he made a ton of terrible decisions. If you know David's story, there was a season where he saw a beautiful woman and she was married and he seduced her. He slept with her and she became pregnant, so he tried to trick the husband into thinking the child was the husband's. When that didn't work, he decided to have the husband executed. And he did all these different things and it was all wicked and evil and God confronted David and David had to repent. And we find that in Psalm 51 and in a couple other Psalms as well. I don't think that that's what's happening here. I think what's happening here is not that David is sinning for these big, grievous sins that he will have in his life. This is more of the posture of ongoing asking for God's forgiveness. That he is saying, there are things about me that this trying time is revealing. There are things about me that I need your forgiveness for. My iniquity is great. My, I've been sinning since I was youthful. And it continues to persist. 
Martin Luther, when he nailed the uh, thesis to the Wittenberg door there, um, the, the first one, what was it that Martin Luther said? I believe he was exactly right. He said, our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, willed that the entire life of believers is to be one of repentance. Christians are people who recognize their need for God, and it is an ongoing need. We live a lifestyle of ongoing repentance. We are putting our hope in God, and we're praying to God, and one of the things that he does is he reveals our need for him, and therefore we constantly go to him, and we're asking him for for forgiveness. We're asking for him to change us from the inside out. This is the good news of the gospel, that all of us are in need of a Savior, and God in love sent his son. And Jesus was willing to die on the cross to pay for our sins, to offer us forgiveness and hope. And that is not a one-off experience. It's not just something that we look at at the entry point of our Christian experience. It's something that we constantly rely upon day by day by day. My hope is in you all day long. So the gospel is the good news of what God has done in Christ, and it is something that we need consistently. When we go through trying times, what happens? We find out that there are things in us that we are not proud of. I mean, how many of us in the last couple weeks have begun to realize the problem is not just what's going on with the economy or what's going on with the healthcare plan or any of those different things or the stimulus checks. The problem is in me. There are are things in me that God is bringing to the surface in his loving kindness to deal with, and I'm asking for forgiveness again. What do they look like? Well, for me, irritability. They look like being upset with other people. They look like being selfish and just wanting things to go my way. They look like all kinds of different things. But in a moment like this, we're being given the opportunity, the fresh opportunity to repent and trust in what God is doing. But he's changing us from the inside out. He's making us a people who are beautiful a people who are more like his son. We don't just want God to guide and lead us. We want to become the kind of people that God intends us to be. That's why our prayer is shaped in that direction. We begin to ask for forgiveness when our hope is in God. Here's the third thing, and I'll be brief here. The third thing that we pray for is deliverance. Look at verses 16 to 22. Verses 16 to 22, it's this extended part of the psalm where it's now saying, I've prayed for your guidance. I'm praying for your forgiveness. I'm also praying that you would deliver me from this circumstance. Verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. There's this desire that God would do something about what's currently going on. Turn to me, be gracious to me. I'm lonely and afflicted. Please do something, God. Verse 17, relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. So it's, it's acknowledging what's going on and it's being honest about it and it's saying, God, this is hard. This is incredibly hard. Please do something here. And God knows and he cares. Um, earlier this year, I actually took a personal retreat day and I was doing some evaluative work of my own heart and soul. And um, I actually created a list of traumatic things that I've led through since the start of our campus. And... Um, And it's been very, very hard. And I'm bringing this up to say, when we pray and we pray for deliverance, we need to be able to say, here's what's really going on with me. There are troubles in my heart. There is anguish in me. There's a brokenness in me. And I want you to do something about it, God. There's something that's going on and God can handle that. But we pray in our distress that God would bring us deliverance. 
So we were, we were um, tuned into the live stream of the prayer event on Friday night, and we were watching it. Um, we cast, cast it up onto our TV, and then um, I was helping the kids get ready for bed, and I came back out, and Ash was on her phone, and she was looking at some of the, the other content um, that showed up after the stream. And she goes, look at this. And there was a video. It was actually a video of our, a pre-launch announcement. And she holds up her phone, and she goes, look at this boy. And it was me inviting people to be a part of the launch of a campus a few years ago. And she's like, look at your baby face. Look at how young you look. We should, we should recreate this video with you now looking all old and haggard. Um, I was up at the Beloit campus not too long ago, and I interacted with somebody I hadn't seen in forever because I'm not up there as much anymore. But they said to me, and they were just being honest, but they said, you look tired. Um, and I am. And that's, here's what I'm saying. In the midst of distress, we need to be able to say, here's what's going on in my heart. My heart is troubled. It's full of anguish. But you, God, can deliver. We take inventory, but we trust in God. Look at verses 19 and 20. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. There's this prayer that says, here's what's going on around God. I know you're fully aware. I know you know what's happening in my heart as well. I'm taking inventory, but I'm trusting in you. You are my refuge. And then we claim that hope in God. Verse 21 May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. We're praying for that deliverance and we're saying, God, it is on the basis of your character that I'm trusting in you. My hope is in you. And this hope is not just for me. It's not just a personal prayer. It's a prayer for the people of God. Look at verse 22. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. A person of hope is somebody who doesn't say, this is just about me. A person of hope says, this is about what God is doing in the world and he has a people. Deliver your people, O God. So we can have hope in God in the midst of troubles. And when we do, it changes us. It changes us from the inside out. It changes the language of our prayers. We begin to pray for guidance that we would get more of God himself. We begin to pray for forgiveness, that we become who God wants us to be. And we pray for his deliverance, that God would lead us and his people home. Let's pray like that right now. Lord, we ask that you would help each and every one of us to place our hope in you. Help us to trust in you. Help us to grow in our confidence in that hope, in that trust in you, Lord. We ask that you would change the way that we pray, that we would begin to pray along the lines of Psalm 25, that we would pray according to your will and your desire for us that we would experience your deliverance because our hope is in you and you will not allow us to be put to shame. We thank you for that hope and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.